You are listening to Agent Court Church's audio podcast. For more information on Agent Court Church, including service times, how to connect, and campus locations, please visit our website at onechurch.to. When Jesus came near the place where the road goes down, the Mount of Olives, the whole crowd of disciples began joyfully to praise God in loud voices for all the miracles they had seen. Blessed is the King who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest. Some of the Pharisees in the crowd said to Jesus, Teacher, rebuke your disciples. I tell you, he replied, if they keep quiet, the stones will cry out. You know, when Pastor Jonathan and I were there about a month ago, and we walked down that very route that Jesus would have taken that first Palm Sunday, one thing you notice, are there ever a lot of rocks there? (laughs) And some of those rocks that are there today, some have been moved, but a lot of them, they've been there for thousands of years. They were there to witness Jesus entering the city that day. But Jesus not only talks about rocks, he talks about donkeys just before that passage of scripture that I read from, Jesus himself makes arrangements, very specific arrangements to make sure a certain kind of donkey would be there for him to ride on to make his grand entrance into the city of Jerusalem. You say, why would he have ever made such a big deal about a certain kind of donkey? It all goes back 500 years before the Residents of Jerusalem would have known this scripture well from their prophet Isaiah, and it said this, Rejoice greatly, Jerusalem. See, your king comes to you righteous and victorious, lowly and riding on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a donkey. So when Jesus arrives in Jerusalem via, you know, colt, donkey, limousine, When he comes in, he's finally going public about something he has kept as a secret. It was called the messianic secret. He didn't want anyone prematurely to be creating too much of a big deal about the fact that he was the Messiah, he was the Son of God. He'd tell people to be quiet, not to tell anyone. But now the secret's out. There was no one that was confused about the statement that Jesus was making When he arrived in Jerusalem, riding as the prophet Zechariah said, the Messiah would arrive. And listen, Jerusalem was already pumped. The locals were joined by thousands of visitors that were there for the greatest festival of the year, the Passover celebration. And so it didn't take much for just pushing them over the edge. No wonder a spontaneous parade started when Jesus enters the city exactly the way the Messiah was going to come in. And they got so excited. No wonder they got excited. Threw their cloaks before Jesus, waved tree branches, and began to shout, Hosanna, save us. And listen to this. They'd say, Son of David, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Those are messianic titles. And no wonder Jesus' official opposition, the Pharisees, spoke up and said, Tell your disciples to for Melabushes. Tell them to hush up, to hish their niches. I don't know where, where that comes from. But Jesus said, okay. But I got to warn you. 
If I tell them to be quiet, you're going to have to like some loud rock music. Because all these rocks are going to suddenly begin to cry out my praise. Now, what's Jesus saying there? Is he saying that he's going to, you know, show his power over nature like he calmed the sea and he's going to make rocks talk? Well, listen, whatever, whatever, if rocks ever did, how many, they wouldn't have had a choice. We do. Humans do. We have a choice. We have a choice. Whether we worship God or don't worship God, we have a choice. So here's where we're headed today. Last weekend, Pastor Jonathan began with a message that said, why do we gather? And whether you're online or at the Clearly campus or here at the Agent Court campus, why do we gather? We understood a lot of good things happen when we get together that would never happen if we just followed Jesus alone. A lot of good things. Today, why do we worship? Why do we worship? I remember just being so confused when I would read as a teenager verses where God would say, I command you to worship me. I think, you know, why would you command it? The very first commandment, you shall have no other gods before me. Worship me and me alone. And then Jesus is put on the spot and asked, what's the most important commandment? He says, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with every, all heart, soul, mind, and strength. Love him with everything. Do you know over a hundred times in the Bible, the people of God are commanded to worship God, to praise him, to be thankful to him, to give glory to his name. Over a hundred times. What is going on? Do we have a God who is in constant need of our affirmation? Does he constantly need compliments? Does he constantly need human approval? No, well, of course, he's secure. He doesn't need us. We need him. And that's exactly the point. I, I remember the day it, it hit me. I realized that when God commands us to worship him, he's actually doing us a favor. Let me illustrate. The same way you'd be doing me a favor if I pulled up into the same gasoline station that you were in, and I pulled up and I started to put some of that squeegee dirty water into my gas tank. <laughs> I hope you'd command me, no, 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 don't, 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 don't. And, and if you, how, how would you handle it if you saw me about to, I was very thirsty and about, about to take a big drink from a jug of Mr. Clean. How many would you go, don't, don't, no, 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 no. And if you really loved me, if you really cared for me, you wouldn't say, don't, don't, don't do that. You weren't designed to have that in your system. You're going to do you damage. You'd be really, really kind. If you really love me, you give me what I was really made for, right? Give me something to drink that I was made for. How many would do that? Nobody? I'm taking a drink of water anyway. <laughs> With your blessing or not. You are sweet. I know you would do that for me. First you do it for Pastor Jonathan, then you do it for me. I know. Do you see it? God is doing us a favor. Because when he says, worship me and me alone... He's saying there's a lot of junk out there that you could clog yourself up in with and, 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 and you cannot take anything other than me without damaging yourself or running dry 
are getting more desperate. You, you can't do that. You cannot receive anything else without doing damage. And so I command you, love me, worship me. That's what you were made to run on. How many understand we were made to run on God? Uh, St. Augustine nailed it when he said, Thou hast made us for thyself, O Lord, and our heart is restless until it finds its rest in thee. All right, we're already into the first point. Why do we worship? Because it fulfills what we are made for. It fulfills what we are made for. Every one of you, whether you're online or in this room, you, you all reach out to admire and appreciate. You have heroes in your life. Maybe you've been jaded by a lot of them, but you still there's something in you that just rises up wanting to admire, wanting to appreciate. And you can have heroes in the art world, music world, in, in popular culture. In the, how many got some heroes in the sports world these days with uh, two teams in the playoffs? You know, we, we've, got, we've got heroes that are there. You may have heroes in the political world. Okay, you may have heroes in the cultural and sports. And you know, Anyway, a little humor there, apparently way too little. All right. If we don't worship God, we're going to worship something else. You want to know what you worship? Just look at what you admire. Where do you spend your time and your money and energy? What do you enjoy? That, that, that tells you what you worship, tells you where your heart goes. The problem is, when we try to worship someone or something other than God, we are destined to disappointment. Always. Like Augustine says, we're going to end up with a restless heart. We're not made to worship the sun, Mother Earth, idols, sports heroes, Zeus, or ourselves. We were made to worship God and God alone. So he's doing us a favor when he says, worship me, you know, have the best life, do what you were designed to do. You know, and yet we get so many distractions of things that promise us. You know, I was in Ikea and Esther said, you know, because we live in a condo here in Toronto and she said, you know, we maybe need a mirror behind the door. And so I went over to look at a mirror in Ikea and I thought I was looking at the wrong sign because it said tired in the mornings. So I went looking for another sign. Came back because the, the right number was there. So I, get, I don't know how much time I spent at this mirror reading this. Tired in the mornings? And I'm thinking, what in the world does that got to do with buying a mirror? Whether I'm tired in the morning. How is a mirror going to help me not be tired in the mornings? It says you can save time by hanging tomorrow's outfit behind the mirror. And then I, then I went and got groceries, and I had my grocery list, and, and oh, man, this has got to be some good orange juice. 100% juice, even in France, jus, and other ingredients. <laughs> How many are thankful God does not overpromise and underdeliver? He's a zillion percent everything that he says that he is. Then why don't we worship him? You know the big obstacle? Pride. We get so full of ourselves, there's no room for God. And watch this. God goes to give someone of his life and his goodness, but there's no room for him to put it. Because we're so full of ourselves. 
So it's no surprise that when you find out what is the original word for worship, if you go right back to the beginning, Old Testament that was written in Hebrew, do you know what the word meant? To prostrate oneself, to humble oneself completely, to bow low before him, to honor with your all. Worship means humility. You, a proud person, cannot worship. They're they're, they're too full of themselves. There's nothing for God. There's no space for him. But what happens when we humble ourselves? Guess what? We have all kinds of space for God. Isn't that what Jesus said when he used these words in Scripture? He says, those who exalt themselves will be humbled. Say this aloud together with me. Those who humble themselves will be exalted. You see, he he goes to work. He gives us his life and goodness and correction and truth and blessings when we humble ourselves and we have room for him. Sometimes I meet people, uh, you know, they're going through something and they just panic and they get hit with a problem and it's normal human reaction, but then they keep going, they're running. How come God isn't helping me. I'm running all over the place trying to find God's help. And, and sometimes you want to say, listen, be still and know that he is God. Stop running around. Be still and he'll find you. Just something about knowing he's God just settles the soul, doesn't it? We freak out. I don't know about you, but sometimes I say, Lord, do you hear what they're saying? Do you see what so-and-so did? And I go to for God, I can't even get God to freak out with me. He's just being God. He knows about it. He cares about it. And how many know God's got this? God's got it. He rules. He reigns. He can even take the bad stuff that's happening now and turn it into something good if we handle it his way. Oh, I'm so thankful that God rules and he overrules and he rules forever and forever. Right on? How many are glad that God's not up for election in October 2019? He's not up for election in 2020. No, he's in permanent office. He is the only God and he reigns forever. Someone should say hallelujah. Like that, that he, he is always there. You know, we get all upset. I, I remember this silly poem. I don't know why it stuck with me over the years, but we mutter, we sputter, we fume and we spurt. We mumble and grumble. Our feelings get hurt. We can't understand. Our vision grows dim when all we need is to be still and worship him. Worship him. There's just, there's just something. Don't clap. I didn't write that. <laughs> you're clapping for my memory. You're saying, at your age, you got a good memory. Yeah, we're, we're worth you, Pastor. Now stop clapping. Now you're really suspect if you clap. But there's just something. You know, worship is our true north. It's just something. Yeah. Yeah. You're God. You reign. I worship you. Something's so right about this, God. When I just trust you and I exalt you, I was made for you. No, no one else, nothing else can ever do that in your life. Only God. You know, I... I've seen, isn't it true, Pastor Jonathan? And, and we, a lot of us have seen this. We've seen God do more in a few moments of worship than hours of therapy, as essential and as helpful as therapy can be. There's just something about we get so stressed and we get so panicky and we just come before God and we say, we realize, God, you reign. I worship you. I can trust you. If you love me enough to go to the cross for me, I know you love me enough to help me through this. 
You're going to bring something good, good out of this, Lord, and I worship you. Do you know at the end of this gathering, did you notice we saved 15 minutes or so of time? So at the end of my teaching, we're going to have time to practice what we're seeing here, to humble ourselves, to bring our stresses and needs before the Lord, and to exalt him. And how many know the things of this world will grow strangely dim in the light of his glory and grace? So let's end today, Palm Sunday, just like it started 2,000 years ago, by praising Jesus for who he is and what he has done for us. All right, so that's the first reason that we worship. It's what we were made for. But secondly, why else do we worship? It expresses what we're grateful for. Expresses what we're grateful for. Notice uh, on Palm Sunday, they praise Jesus two ways. Verbally and physically. Physically, remember they threw the cloaks before him just honoring this Messiah that's walking through as Zechariah prophesied on the colt of a donkey and, 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 they, and they wave palm branches, physical expressions. We'll talk about some of those today. And then they also verbally praise Jesus. Hosanna, as, as Matt prayed, you know, save us, rescue us, Lord. You're the Messiah, son of David. Hosanna in the highest. They, they praised him verbally. And so let, let's look at, at, at both of those. You see, now I, I want to ask you a question first. Don't answer me out loud, okay? It's a, sort of a trick question. Do you think when they shouted Hosanna and they waved the tree branches, do you think that they were worshiping? Not so fast. Not so fast. I've been in, I figured out this past week, over 10,000 worship services, worship gatherings. I started when I was an infant. <laughs> Actually, I've been pastoring in over 10,000. That's what I figured out. And that, you know, I started when I was 12. <laughs> if you're new here, I just lied. <laughs> but I've seen leaders and pastors and people say, Wow! The people were really worshiping. They were singing loud or they were all clapping or celebrating and they're all happy and all kinds of good things were happening. They were really worshiping. And, and they say, I'm looking at the expressions and, and saying that they're really, really worshiping. Do you know God himself said that you can have outward expressions without heart adorations? All right. Here's how he says it in Isaiah. He says, these people come near to me with their mouth and honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. They worship of me is based on merely human rules they have been taught. They're just following through, just doing stuff that they've seen. Their hearts are far from me. There's no heart adoration involved in this. Now, let's sort of look back where we've been, and then we're going to help correct a couple of things. I want to make sure you were listening to my first point, okay? Expect worship to be all about? All about? God. You got it. All right? And then, here's the second uh, truth that we're seeing here. Measure worship by outward expressions. What do we measure them by? Heart. That's right. The heart, the adoration of heart. That's how God measures it. Do you remember that verse? It sort of fits in here. God first said it about choosing David, but man looks on the outward experience. God looks on the heart. Yeah. So true of worship. 
which means that I can tell what kind of worship service you're going to have before you even get here. Is your heart already worshiping? Do you see what I'm saying? I, I, I can tell you how, what kind of day you're going to have, whether or not your heart is worshiping. Are you just going through the motions? Is it just outward expressions? Just saying what you always say to God? Or is there something coming from your heart? I can tell you what kind of worship service you're going to have before you even get out of the parking lot or off the bus. Because all you have to do is look at your heart. Is your heart critiquing or is it longing? Is your heart proud or is it praising? Is your heart hard or is it tender? Is your heart distracted or is it adoring? Is your heart closed or is it open? Is your heart selfing or is it worshiping? Worship starts with the heart. Which means you, you, you can have someone who's very non-expressive. How many have non-expressive people in your life? Or maybe you are. You can have very non-expressive people. They can be worshiping more in God's eyes because of what's happening in their heart than someone dancing in the pews beside them. You can have 10 sanguine, sanguine extroverts outwardly expressing and, and not be worshiping and have someone else who has... What, what, were we, what are we talking about? Personality. We all have different personalities. Listen, if you can go to a Raptors game and sit courtside and in the final moments of the game see a Raptor get a three-pointer and just sit there and say, good, good. I don't expect a whole lot more than that when you gather together and hear what Jesus did. You just say, good. Good. Maybe you say, very good. <laughs> this is even a bigger victory. But we're talking about personality. Some people look, oh, they're not really worshiping. You don't know what's going on in their heart. Another word, personality, another word that helps us here, musicality. Some people that are musical can't understand why other people aren't musical and praising with music and songs just like them. Well, what happens if they weren't... <laughs> Given the, any, you know, when God gave out the gifts of music, they, they weren't around. And when they sing and you're standing beside them, it's, it's painful. You know, they sing baritone. They make the tone and you bear it. You know, it's just, like, you know what their favorite Bible verse is? Make a joyful noise unto the Lord. You see, we can't just say, well, if you're not musical, you're not really going to be a good worshiper because worship is not reserved for the extroverts or for the musical. It's reserved for the breathing. Let everything that has breath praise the Lord. Worship is not what I do at church gatherings. It's just breathing. It's just worship. The attitude, God, I want to glorify you with my words and my actions. Whether I'm in church, out of church. Remember the Apostle Paul said it this way. He said... Whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do it all to the glory of God. And so I can work to the glory of God. I can study to the glory of God. Sorry, students. But I can do all those things with a heart of worship because I'm doing it for the glory of God. Whatever worship is, it starts with our hearts. I can be up in my favorite part of the planet, which is the Canadian Shield, and I can see beauty, and it just causes me to express gratitude to God. I can see in arts and music 
and I can see skills and people's crafts or sports or business, and it just causes me to admire, to express admiration. But there's just something they get expressed, but it starts in my heart. I, I see it there first, and then I express it outwardly. Listen, if, if you, you know, let's just dream for a moment. Come on, Torontonians, I have a dream, okay? What if the Toronto Maple Leafs went all the way to the final game of the Stanley Cup in the final seconds of the game, in goes the goal to, against, you know who, and it goes against them, and then the announcer says, this is the first time since 1967 the Leafs have won the Stanley Cup. I, I, I'd at least, someone, even if you're not, I expect you to say, yes. Yes, just sneak up your hand a bit and just go, yes. Unless your heart was filled with other gods like the Habs. You know what I mean? <laughs> Unless that was happening, you know. Listen, if I'm feeling crusty, you say, you do? Hush up. <laughs> if I'm feeling crusty at the beginning of a day or at the beginning of a worship service, I found all I have to do is remember what my life would be like if I didn't have Jesus in it. Where would I be today? I'd be carrying my own sins, damaging myself in the process, and all I've had looked forward to is a final death and punishment. But because I have Jesus in my life, his blood continuously cleanses away all my sin, and my future is in heaven with him forever. How many know that? Like that, that, that? All I have to do is just say, where would I be today without Jesus? And I have Jesus, so I will glorify you. That comes right from my heart. And then when I get together with you, whether you're online or here in this room at Kennedy and Finch, and we get together, and all of our hearts are adoring Jesus, because where would we be today if it weren't for him? How privileged we are to know the good news of what he's done for our past and what he has for our future. We gather together, and then we have these expressions that we use when we gather. And, and just like on Palm Sunday, it's the same throughout the Bible. Expressions can be physical, and they can be verbal. Let's look at some of the verbal ones. In the Old Testament, the psalmist told the people of God, burst into jubilant song with music. In the New Testament, the Apostle Paul says, speak to one another with psalms, hymns, songs from the Spirit. Sing and make music from your heart to the Lord. Worship is all about what's happening in our heart, but then it gets expressed in songs, and then those songs can become tools or vehicles. Of, they're not worship, but they can be vehicles of worship. And then there's times at the end of songs, and I noticed it in this room this morning, Pastor Jonathan, that a lot of our people were just hearing words of a song, and they lingered on those truths. Oh, Jesus, what you're... And at the end of the song, they just kept on praising. Isn't that beautiful? That's what the people of God have done for, for centuries now. Because it's not just going through the motions and singing a song. It's, God, this is real to me, and I thank you for it personally. And that's beautiful. It, when we pray together, whoever's leading us in prayer, if there's something in the prayer that you want to just say, yes, Lord, or I bring my needs before you, just go ahead and whisper that to the Lord. Let there be expressions of praise in this place verbally. You say, well, what happens if I'm in a gathering and I read, 
really sincerely feel something so strong to praise the Lord with, but it would be distracting to others. Well, Paul talks about this. He says, there are times, I'll I'll quote 1 Corinthians 14, to keep quiet in the church and speak to yourself and to God. He's making a distinction between our private worship and what we do when we are together. Because the Corinthians were all just coming together and doing their private worship. They could have just done that on their own. But when you're together, you do it differently. So I thought of this guideline. Isn't this a good guideline? Worship in a way that helps others worship. Have you ever been worshiping and then someone just gets so loud and take over that no one's thinking about Jesus anymore? (laughs) That's not worship. That's just doing my own thing. That's distracting from people worshiping. But have you ever been in a, a service where people just worship and they're being led in worship just like Corinthians teaches let, be, let it be led and let it be explained and, and, and worship together in unity and we're all singing a song together and there's just there's such a sense of unity and we're able to sing it out and to shout it out and to praise it out to the Lord together that helps other people worship so that's a good guideline worship in a way that helps others worship And then there's those physical expressions. Uh, By the way, I put this in deliberately. I was going to leave out and just jump to the part that says clap your hands in the next verse. In the next verse. Next verse. (laughs) Watch this. He gives instructions for the musicians, for the director of music, the sons of Korah. They were the praise team. A psalm. He's giving them, you know what, how about we just take a moment and say, thank you, Lord, for those who week after week, the large majority of them volunteers, who prepare hours ahead and then are there for all three weekend services with great sacrifices on the part of their family to be here to lead us with songs of worship to God. Isn't that great? And so, they, they, yeah, go ahead, let's express gratitude. I haven't started to teach about clapping hands yet, but I'm coming to that, okay? And what you did fits. (laughs) You just did something scriptural. Clap your, well, here it is. Clap your hands. You were ahead of me, weren't you? Clap your hands, all you nations. Shout to God with cries of joy. Sometimes when we clap our hands, it's just that there's a good beat. And some of us like beat more than others, but there's just a good beat and, and we're there. And so it becomes an expression of joy. Oh, just songs are at their best when they're singing about God. And we express joy to him. We also clap our hands, our culture knows this, as an expression of appreciation. Applause to affirm. That's why at the end of some songs this morning, there were some people that clapped their hands because they're lingering on some of the truths we just sang about. Say, yeah, that's for you, God, that's really true. Or we clap our hands to encourage others like we just did. That's an affirmation. That's all pleasing in the sight of God. What about raising our hands in worship? What does that express? Listen how Paul told uh, the Christians that Timothy pastored. He said, uh, in every place of worship, I want men to pray with holy hands lifted up to God, free from anger and controversy. Just setting everything else aside, just, just worshiping the Lord. Do you know when I pastored in Ottawa, there was, uh, uh, someone did what you're going to be doing this week, invited someone out to church. You'll be inviting people out to Good Friday and Easter, but she invited someone to church and they were new to at least a church like ours. And right at the first song, a lady sitting in front of her raised her hand up like that. And she, it was new to her, so she leaned to the lady that invited her and said, 
she wants to ask the pastor a question, but he can't see her hand. <laughs> I mean, no context. So what does it mean when we raise our hands? What does it mean? I, I think there's three things that throughout the Bible you see people expressing when they raise their hand. First is humility. It's nothing egotistical about just taking a part of our body and saying, God, this is what's in my heart. I worship you. Without anger and disputing, I glorify you. I, I exalt you above every earthly thing. Right? And then another, not just humility, but also declaration. We were singing some songs this morning that talked about what Jesus did, and I just couldn't help it. My hand went up there. Oh, this is amazing grace, as we're going to sing in a few moments. You know, it just... The hand goes up. It's declaring something that you affirm because you know it's been true in your own life. And then the third is surrender. Surrender. Just, God, I, I surrender. I raise my hands to you. You know, when we were in uh, Israel a few weeks ago, uh, you know how they rediscovered the old city where David's palace was and, and that. And then you could see how he would have gone up to the temple because uh, the foundation stones are still there. And and you could just see, and, 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 and in the evening, he loved, because he talks about it, I'll show you the verse in a moment, he loved to just leave. I, I don't know what, you know, after supper, after dinner, whatever, but he'd just go up, and when the evening sacrifices were being offered, he, he would go up to the temple, and, and listen to what he says. I, I know his heart here. He says, may the lifting of my hands be as the evening sacrifice. Isn't that beautiful? Just comes right from his heart. God, this isn't just sacrifice time, so I'm going to raise my... No, may the lifting of my hands be an offering to you, be a sacrifice to you, just surrendering to the Lord. All right, so we measure worship not by outward expressions, but by adoration of the heart. All right, there's a third reason that we worship. And that is it reveals who unbelievers are searching for. Same thing happened on Palm Sunday. What about people who join our gatherings who don't know the Lord? Listen, the best thing that can happen for them is what happened on Palm Sunday. When Jesus entered Jerusalem, the whole city was stirred, and people asked. They didn't understand. They asked, who is this? Who is this? Obviously, the people were so filled with joy and excitement about the presence of Jesus, about him being there. The, one of the gospels says, he, they praised him for all the miracles that he had done. They recognized who he was at the Messiah. And, and, and they, because of who God is and what he has done, we gather with joy and we worship him. The best thing that can happen is that people would see that gratitude and say, wow, you guys must really love Jesus. Who is he? Who is Jesus? Who is he? And then the people answered. Crowds answered, this is Jesus, the prophet from Nazareth in Galilee. Can I ask you to do something to join Pastor Jonathan and all those that are involved in Good Friday and Easter services, they're putting a lot of uh, preparation into it for the people that you will be inviting. Can I ask you to pray with me that more than anything else, more than hearing a good teaching or a nice song, that they will sense the presence of Jesus? Amen? Will you pray with me about that? As a matter of fact, that's, that's, that's exactly what we see. You see, we define worship by a worship service. No, that's not what it is. Unless we sense his presence. Jesus says, when you gather together, there am I in your midst, right? And so, listen, define worship by 
the presence of, you know whose name I'm going to write next, the presence of Jesus. He is here. (laughs) And when he's here, he's who people are really longing for because they were made for him. And it gives Pastor Jonathan and I, whoever's teaching the opportunity to say, this is who he is and why we're so excited about gathering in his name to exalt him. So let's be praying about that. All right, so why do we worship? Because it fulfills what we are made for, it expresses what we're grateful for, and it reveals who unbelievers are searching for. And it all starts with what? Humbling myself. Humbling myself. You know, there's a statue, apparently, of Jesus that was made by Thor's Walden, a Danish sculptor. And Walden sculpted a statue of Jesus. Now, none of us know, and he didn't know what Jesus actually looked like, but he gave it his best, best uh, effort. And he, he made a statue of Jesus, but watch this. Apparently, I've never been there, but apparently you cannot see the face of Jesus on the statue if you're standing up. And there's a sign beside the statue that says this. If you want to see the face of Jesus, kneel at his feet. And that's exactly what happens. You kneel down, and when you are in a kneeling position, the outward expression of humility, that's when you can look up and you can see the beautiful face of Jesus shining down upon you. Make sure you don't miss a message by subscribing to this podcast. All creative content and production for this podcast is provided by the One Church Creative Team.